Hey everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. Hey, good morning everybody. Thanks for joining us online for our online gathering. It's so good to be with you. So we are talking about patience and the idea that we really want to sow the seed of patience into our hearts so that it will produce patience. We all need that. Uh, we all have times in our life where we just get impatient. We're tired of waiting. We're tired of waiting in that line or being stuck in that traffic or, or ch- waiting for, you know, some things to change or, or be different. All of us are in those, in those moments in life where we just need some patience. And so we're just sowing the seed of the Word of God into the good soil of our heart. It, has, it requires that. Just like when you sow seed, it has to be good soil. If it, won't, it won't produce what it needs to produce in the way that it was, it was designed to produce it. And so we want to just sow into the good soil of our heart so that we can produce this thing called patience. And when that when we do that, we give glory to God and we show that we're a follower of Jesus because that's essentially what Jesus was about. Jesus was absolutely patient uh, when it came to dealing with, with situations, dealing with people specifically. And so that's what we need to be in our life. And so we want to apply this to our life. The verses that we've been coming around is sort of a way of uh, launching into what the rest of the scripture says about patience is, is in James. James is the brother of Jesus and, and he's teaching us about what maybe probably what he observed through his brother uh, Jesus and as they grew up. And, and it says in James 5, 7, it says, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Even when this was written a couple thousand years ago, when this was written, uh, they were had this anticipation that, that Jesus was going to come back again. And they were anticipating these the, the day that he that he would return. And so James is saying, listen, I, I know it maybe feels like it's going to happen, you know, sooner than, than later. Uh, but but we, through that process, we need to be patient. We need to be patient as we wait until the coming of the Lord. He says, just like, and he gives an example of how this works. He says, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains. And so he's given the analogy that we all know when it comes to sowing and reaping, but even when it comes to sowing and reaping, that it requires for us to have patience. And so he's saying, listen, just like the farmer, you know, waits for the you know, precious produce. Uh, we need to be patient about it when it comes to when the Lord comes back again. And so then he says in verse eight, he says, you too, be patient. So he's talking to you. He's talking to me. He's, he's reminding us, you know, some 2,000 years later, uh, and Jesus hasn't come back again yet. And he says, in that time, we need to be patient. And then in that time, we need to strengthen our hearts. In other words, you know, he's given the idea that our hearts and our affections and our love needs to be towards that um, of who Jesus is and what Jesus wants to accomplish in and through you. That, that our strength in our hearts requires um, some patience and strengthening our hearts requires that we are producing patience that only God can produce in and through us. And so he says, listen, while we wait patiently uh, for him to come back again, which he, James would say is near, um, he, we need to be about strengthening our hearts. We need to be about giving our affections towards Jesus and nothing else, nowhere else shall our affections be. And so strengthening our hearts. What does that look like? Well, here he's just reminding us again that as we 
wait for him to return, which he will return. And while we wait, and I hope that as you're watching this right now, that that thrills your heart, that I hope that as you're watching this right now, that even hearing these next couple verses and what it's going to look like when Jesus does come back again, that this does give strength to your heart, that maybe you, your heart feels discouraged, uh, maybe you sort of feel at a loss, or maybe you're realizing how much impatience you do have in your life, or, or how much hopelessness you feel in certain you know, scenarios in your life, like, is this ever going to get better? Is this ever going to improve? Am I ever going to find my way out of, out of this hole that I, that I seem to find myself in? I hope that these verses will strengthen your heart because that's what James wants you to do. And Peter wants you to do that as well. Um, But we're going to get to that in a second. But here's what John writes in in a vision that he has of Jesus talking about what it's going to look like when he does come back again. And according to James, he says it's near. He says it's near. And so here's what John writes in Revelation 21, 4. He says, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. I mean, I don't know about you. I hope that this strengthens your heart. I hope that when you see this and you see that one day he's going to come back again and he's going to wipe away every tear from your eye. There will no longer be any death and there will no longer be any mourning as a result of, you know, hurt and pain. There will no longer be any crying or pain. He says those things are going to pass away. I hope that you know that that is a reality, that that's going to happen. As a matter of fact, he wants to make sure, he wanted to make sure that we knew that that is a reality and that that is going to happen because look what he says next. And he who sits on the throne, Jesus, he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things New, And he said, right. And you got to imagine John's, you know, there. He's got the vision of Jesus and he's sitting on the throne. And Jesus is just saying that, you know, I'm going to wipe away every tear and there's going to be no more death. There's going to be no more mourning. There's going to be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more anguish, no more, you know, anxiety, no more worry, you know, no more uncertainty. All that is going to be finished. You got to imagine like John's jaw being down on the floor, like, what in the world, how incredible that's going to be, how, how his heart was just strengthening. And Jesus in that moment said to John, you need to write this down. Like we want other people to be encouraged by this. We need other people to be strengthened by this. You need to write this down. And so John starts to write it all down and, and, and we have it right here, right here as he writes it all down. He says, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write for these words are faithful and true. Like, I'm not making this up. This isn't some sort of fairy tale. You know, this isn't some sort of legend. This is just, this is the real deal. This is going to happen one day, one day. Everything is going to be made new. One day, there's every tear is going to be wiped away. No more mourning, no more pain, no more struggle, no more grief. I hope right now, if you're watching, I hope that your heart is being strengthened even just hearing this because Jesus is on a throne and he's telling you and me right here, right now that his words are faithful and his words are true. But as always, there's always people that question. There's always skeptics. There's always people that say, I don't know because I just don't see this 
trending in life right now, and I just don't know if this is what you're saying is actually faithful and is actually true, but we'll get to that in a second. But he says this in verse six. He says, and then he said to me, it is done. It's, it's all done. And John said, it's already happened. No, 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 it hasn't happened yet, but it's, it's gonna happen. And you can consider it done because I'm faithful and true. Because I am, he says, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give to the one who thirst from the spring of water of life without cost. Jesus is saying, I just want you to know who I am. And it's done as far as I'm concerned. It's going to happen because I said it and I don't lie and I'm faithful and I'm true. And by the way, I am the alpha. If you don't know what that means, I'm the beginning and I am the omega. If you don't know what that means, it means I am the end. And anybody who thirsts, I've got something that won't cost them anything. It's grace that I'm going to extend to anyone who needs some fulfillment and satisfaction in their life because they can't find it anywhere here. So Peter comes across a group of people that were, as he's, Peter's talking about this, you know, he's like, he's going to come back again. He's going to make everything new and it's going to be amazing. It's, he's going to wipe away every tear. It's going to be incredible. Peter's sharing this with, with, with uh, you know, that are people that are, will listen to him and, 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 they, and they're saying things like this. And so they, they have, they question it. And they said in 2 Peter 3, 4 and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Like, Okay, I hear that he's coming back again, but you know where is that promise of his coming? For they said, for every ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Like ever since the fathers fell asleep, the fathers who are they? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. Ever since they've passed away, like everything's kind of continued the way that it's always continued. Life is uniform they would say it's sort of everything has there's a cause and then there's an effect of that there's you know there's so you sow it and then what you sow then you're eventually gonna reap from that and so everything in life has that everything is 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 an order to it and everything is just sort of goes the way that it goes and that's the way that they saw life and oftentimes that's the way that we see life we see life as sort of a cause an effect scenario where, where there's a because something happens, there's an effect, there's a consequence to that. I'll give you an example of that uh, that happened this this week. I um, I got a new van, uh, and and uh, so as as a new van owner, um, I have all of these feelings sometimes that maybe I bought a lemon. I don't know if you can relate to that, but you always sort of get a new thing and a new vehicle, and you're thinking, did I get ripped off or did I get one pulled over on me and you know did did I buy and so I um, had a light that came on in my van that said low tire and uh, that that made me I just sort of be honest with you I got I over overreacted I'm thinking oh my goodness oh what did I do what did I what did I buy this is terrible a low tire light came on in my van I know it sounds sounds absurd you you can't relate to it but that's just what happened to me and so I get home pull my air compressor out and and start putting air in the tire that I can see that is visibly lower than the other tires and and so I put air in that tire and I put my my grab my tire gauge and I chest the you know the 
PSI of the tire, right? You, you do this, right? And I'm testing the PSI and it kept reading low and it kept reading lower. And so I'm putting more air in it, putting more air in it and kept reading low. And so I'm thinking, well, maybe all of my tires are this way. And so I started putting air in all my tires, taking my tire gauge and testing the tire, each tire out. And it kept reading just, you know, until, until it read what I was felt comfortable, uh, the amount of air pressure that it needed to be in a tire. Well, as I'm going through each of my tires, my, the, the tire that I started with, I start hearing a hissing sound and I start hearing air coming out and I start hearing it coming out of the, the, the you know, the, the valve, the air valve of the tire. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, you know, now this is even worse, right? I'm like, oh, I did buy a lemon. This is terrible. I, can I send it back? How much can I sell it for? Now, you know, I'm thinking all these things as, as air is just spilling out of the, uh, out of the valve. And I'm thinking, okay, I got to take, run it up. So I run it up to a tire place and take, pull in there. And they check me in. They said, go park over here. And an hour later, you know how that goes. An hour later, they finally say, you can pull into the garage, right? And so this is a great lesson on patience, right? This is like, you get there and you have to wait. You have to wait. And all of us, as I'm waiting, I'm having all, all these thoughts of like, how do I sell this thing? What do I do? What am I going to, how is this going to, how much is it going to cost me? You know, and oh my goodness. So I'm waiting. Finally, I pull in and they check it out and I'm sitting there and the guy, kid comes over to me and says, sir, um, you had like 60 some pounds of air in all of your tires, and I would go, are you serious? I go, my tire gauge said that I didn't have like less than 40, uh, you know, a PSI. I, I, I said, I, I don't even understand. He goes, I don't know. He goes, but we took a bunch of air out of your tires and you put so much air in one tire that it ripped the, the tire valve. And that's why, and I said, oh my goodness. So I said, well, what is this going to cost me? He says, this isn't going to cost you anything, but you need to not put so much air in your tires. I said, you know what happened? And I told him, I said, I'm so embarrassed. I said, I bought a tire gauge from a dollar store and clearly that was a bad decision because it just, I, you never, so if you're wanting to learn anything from this dork, um, don't buy a tire gauge from a dollar store. And so I said, I told the guy, I said, that's what I did. I said, I just kept putting air until I, it read the right. He goes, yeah, these tire gauges are bad. Certainly the ones that you buy at a dollar store are probably not a good idea. And I, and I said, we're, you know, I'll pick up a tire. He goes, listen, he goes, here. He gave me his tire gauge. He's like, you can have this one. This one should work fine for you. I said, thank you. So anyways, so what is the cause? The cause was, was I had a bad tire gauge and the effect of that was it made me put way too much tire in the air and it, it ultimately tore the tire valve. That's the cause and then the effect. That's how it works because life works that way. When we, there's a, because something, because of something, there, it, it affects other things. And that's the way that life works. This is their thought process. Life is uniform. Life has order. And you're talking about, and this is, this is what their argument was. You're talking about something that will completely interrupt the way that life has normally been going. You're talking about something un 
unprecedented. You're talking about something completely abnormal. That, that you're saying that God is going to intervene. God is going to disrupt. God is going to interrupt life as we already know it. Life has just been going as it's always gone. And I just can't imagine. This is what they're saying. I just can't imagine something significant like that happening. Where all of a sudden... Things that are once way that they were, all of these things are going to become new again. That life is full of mourning. Life is full of death. Life is full of pain. Life is full of tears. And you're telling me that he's going to come and he's going to intervene in all of that. And he's going to make it all new again. That there's going to be a new normal. And Peter says, yeah. And let me tell you what Peter does next with that. Here's what he says. For when they maintain this, here's what Peter says. For when they maintain this thought process that life is uniform, life has order, which it does. Life, there's cause and effect. There's sowing and there's reaping. It does. When they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of the water and by Water. Here's what Peter does, and this is important for all of us. This is important for all of us, thinking that nothing significant like that could ever happen. Nothing significant like that could ever, you know, change, you know, the way that life is now. That life is uniform. Life has cause and effect. But here's what Peter points him to, and I wrote it down this way. He points him to early events. He points them to early events. And so he's saying we need and they need to have an early events perspective. An early events perspective. He's saying this. He's saying you know how in creation that when, you, when, when we think about creation, we think about it in a way that's oftentimes different than the things that we create or the things that we build. I don't know about you, but oftentimes when it comes to creating or building, you and I always need resources and we always need material. That's what we always need. All of us need these things. Um, you, you've probably been in a part of like building something, whether it's like a, you know, dresser or, you know, a TV stand or a cabinet or, or a piece of furniture. You've, all of us have been a part of that, you know, and I've learned now over the last couple years that I always need to include my wife, Katie, in the process because I don't have the patience, the attention span to follow through the, all the instructions. I just sort of try to get it done as fast as I can because, because let's be honest, putting stuff together isn't really all that fun, especially doing furniture things and, you know, different dressers and things. It's really tedious. And so I just don't have the patience for that. I don't have the attention span for that. So I have to bring in my wife because I've learned that I'll always mess up on a step. And then by the time I realize I messed up on a step, I'm already five or six steps ahead. Have you ever, can you relate? Yeah? Okay, good. So you're five or six steps ahead and then you have to like redo five or six steps in order for you to fix that one step that you messed up for, for you to get to where, I don't, so I have to bring in my wife who's a little bit more, you know, patient, has more attention to detail and certainly a lot smarter than I am. And I bring her in to help me with this process. But here's what we all understand. When it comes to creating, when it comes to building, all of us need material. But what Peter's saying is this, God didn't 
need that. God didn't need building material. God didn't need any kind of resources. God didn't use that at all. Like we do, like we need. When we come to things, we need material, but God didn't need any material whatsoever. And so when God created everything that we see, when God created every which way that we live in and all the order of life that we live in and the, and the, and the reason why God created it that way is, is that there isn't chaos in this world, that God created it with that way. And there is cause and there is effect. There is cause for when we build something, when we create something, and there's an effect that has a result of what happens when we, when we finish that project. But when it comes to creation, here's what Peter is saying. God is the first cause. When it came to creation and when it comes to the idea of interrupting in creation because they thought life is the way that it is. Life is the way that it always is going to be. They thought there's, because there has to be a cause and there has to be an effect. But here's what, and this is what Jesus would say. I'm the alpha and I'm the omega. I'm the beginning and I am the end. And when it came to everything that we have and everything that we live in and everything that we see and everything that we don't see and everything that we understand and everything that we don't understand about how life works, here's what Peter reminded them of. That God is the first cause. And when he came and when he created everything, it, it, it affected everything else. And so therefore, he's saying, listen, he's saying just like life has rhythm. So in, 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 we'll say it this way. In creation, there is a rhythm and there's a rhyme, but God will break in at any time. This was the argument that Peter made. He's saying that life in life, certainly there's a rhythm, there's certainly a rhyme, but because God is who God is, because he's the alpha, because he's the omega, because he's the one who sits on the throne and says that all things will become new. And you can write that down, John, because these words are faithful and these words are true. That even in the rhythms of life and even in the rhymes of life, there is times in life that seem so uncertain and so unusual and so abnormal and so unprecedented. I don't know. Have any of you felt that in the last 12 weeks that things in life aren't as predictable as we thought we would? If you learned anything over these last 12 weeks, you need to know this. You and I are not in control. You and I, and whatever we thought we could predict, whatever we thought we could plan ahead of time, God says you are not in control of this life. It is a reminder that the first cause, namely God, will break in and he will intervene and he will interrupt any time he pleases. This is Peter's point. So when you think, yes, it certainly does. There's a rhythm. There's a uniformity to life. There's an order to life. It is all true. But you need to know that God will interrupt, that God will disrupt, that God will break in any time he wants. I hope, I hope that that is a reality for you personally. 
I hope that as a reality for you personally, that in your life, you were going about your life. There was a uniformity about your life. There was a rhythm about your life. There was a way about your life. There was a, it was a you were going about, you had a plan and you had a, you know, you know, a process that you were going about. But I hope that you've had an interruption, that you had an interruption with Jesus, kind of interruption that Paul had when he was heading to Damascus and all of a sudden he gets this bright light in his face and he goes blind and he hears a voice from heaven going, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul could have said, I'm not persecuting a me. I'm a persecuting a thing. I'm not persecuting a me. I'm persecuting a, a sect. I'm not persecuting a me. I'm persecuting a religion. And, 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 and Jesus was saying, no, 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 no. You, we're making it personal. You're persecuting me. And I hope that Jesus has intervened and intersected into your life, has disrupted your life because he's got a plan for your life. And there's a rhythm and there's a rhyme, but I hope that you've experienced that God has broken into your life. And I hope that you've experienced that personally, that God has disrupted you personally because that's what he's interested in doing because he's God, because his words are faithful and his words are true. And long before you were here, he was the alpha. And long after you're gone, he's the omega. So I hope that personally, God has broken into your life because that's how God works. He goes on and gives another example. He says, Peter says, through which the world, he says, not just creation, God didn't need any material, he just breaks in. When God wants to break in, he'll break in. When God wants to disrupt, he'll disrupt. That's what he does. He says, he says just like this, you know this, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. He says, you remember like the day of Mo, or not Moses, Noah? Remember Noah? Like he was building an ark. And the reason why he was building an ark because God broke into Noah's life and said, Noah, you know, I'm gonna flood the earth. And, and there's, there, because there's cause and effect, there's consequences to sin, there's causes of sin. Sin brings about pain. Sin brings about hurt. Sin, sin brings about destruction. There's all these things that cause and effect of, of sin. And so as a result of that, I'm gonna bring in a flood and it's gonna destroy the earth, Noah. And so Noah starts building an ark and, and Noah starts telling everybody, God's going to come and flood the earth and you need to be on this boat. And they're thinking, what is rain? What is a flood? And how is this working? And what are you building? That is unprecedented. That is abnormal. That is strange. And they were like, Noah's saying, you need to get on because God's getting ready to do something unprecedented. And Peter's saying, He's already done that in early events. And don't think for one second he isn't going to do it again. Don't think for one second that he's not going to just break in and intervene. He did it then. He'll do it again. And they said, well, how will he do it again? What will he do when he does it again? And Peter answers them and says, but by his word, the present heavens and the earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly 
men. Peter's saying that's what he's gonna do. And as a result of that, he's gonna make a brand new heaven and a brand new earth where there's gonna be no more tears, no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow. But the way that he's gonna do that is he's gonna bring judgment because he's a God who judges. He's a just God. And so Peter goes on and says this, but do not let this one fact, he says, you you need to know this about God. Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. He goes, you, you, if you can remember one thing, if you, if you need to know one fact, here's the one fact that you need to know. That God is on a different timetable than we are. That God is on a different timetable than we are. That God isn't limited to time and space like we are. And this is where the tension is. This is the tension that we feel when it comes to being impatient in this life. That we feel that we are limited to time and space. That we sense in our spirit that there is a limit to the time that we have. And this is what Peter is saying. And Peter is quoting this or or referencing what he's saying here. He's referencing a psalm, an oldest psalm in the scripture written by Moses. And Moses will say it this way. He says in Psalm 90, he says, Before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so Moses is saying, and Peter's taking from Moses, and what Moses is saying, God, before anything was here, before anything was mountains or anything else, you, are, you, were, you were here. You brought about. You're the first cause. You're the original. And because you've always been, you've been everlasting to everlasting. That's your timeline. That's your time frame. There's no limits to that. It's one arrow pointing this way, another arrow pointing that way. That's your time frame. You are God in that way. And then he goes on and says this in verse four. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday. This is what Peter's using. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by or as a watch in the night. He says, he says your, your way of thinking is as if like one day was a thousand years ago. Like the, di- the day that Abraham walked on this earth was Wednesday. Last Wednesday is, when, is what God is, is thinking God is like, Abraham was here. I made a promise to Abraham last Wednesday. This is God's time frame. When Peter's writing this down, this was last Friday. This was just a couple days ago. Like when Peter's writing this stuff down and, and, and sharing it with us. This is the time frame that God thinks about. He doesn't think in the same time frame that we think. And then look what Moses says. And this is the, what Peter's thinking. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. Can you elaborate on that, Moses? Yeah, verse 6. He says, in the morning it flourishes and it sprouts anew. Towards the evening it fades and withers away. So Moses is saying, in reminding us what, what, what Peter's saying is this is that our life, our time frame is short, it's limited. So that's what makes us feel angst. That's what makes us be impatient. That's what we, because we realize inside, intuitively, we realize that our time is short, that our time is limited. I only have a certain amount of time on this planet 
to get done what I need to get done, to accomplish and to achieve what I need to accomplish and achieve. Yes, there's uniformity. Yes, there's order. Yes, there's cause and effect. Yes, there's sowing and reaping. And so I've got to get through each thing. And we, are, we have that tension that we feel because God doesn't work that way. But we work that way because we think that we only have a certain amount of time. And so this is the perspective that Peter wants us to have and Moses wants us to have. More importantly, God wants us to have. He wants us to have an eternal perspective. He wants us to have an eternal perspective. He wants us to think about that in this life, this life is just sort of a temporary start. This is just the beginning. I know you feel like you're getting to the end of your life, but really, in reality, it's just the beginning. It's just the start where we start. And then we, one day, all of us, one day, all of us are going to step into eternity. All of us are going to step into eternity. And this is the perspective. This is the perspective that Jesus wanted us to have when he tells us, listen, don't store up your treasures here on earth. Don't give your heart, don't give your affections to things on this earth. Store up your treasures in heaven. Have an eternal perspective. Because that was Jesus's framework. Jesus' framework was not limited to time and space, though he was limited to time and space, and that's what helps us understand that he sympathizes. But his framework was everlasting to everlasting. And that ought to be our perspective when it comes to being on this earth. That ought to be our perspective when it comes to when we feel the, the tension of impatience rising up in us. To have that eternal perspective. Yeah, our time here is like grass. It grows up, sprouts anew in the morning, but then in the evening withers away. That's our time here on this planet. But God wants us to have a different perspective, especially when it comes to patience. He wants to have an eternal one. And Peter says it this way in verse 9. He says, the Lord is not slow about his promises. Some count slowness. So they're like, where is he at? Where is he at? When's he coming? Is this happening? I don't think so. This is not where the world life where I no, no, where is he at? He says, but but is patient towards you. He's patient towards you. Like that, this is how God works. I mean, and, and this is the tension that we feel because we're we think about years, right? We think about years. We celebrate our, you know, every birth year, right? Every every year we celebrate that. We we think about years. We think about 2020. I, I know you've probably had the same thought that I've had. Can we just get done with 2020 already? Like 2020 has been a bummer of a year, right? I mean, can we just get to 2021? And this is not what God wants us to think about. God wants us to think about the day-to-day, but he also wants us to think about our perspective of being eternity, not just to, just a limited to a year. God, because God works on a different time frame and a different timetable. He's from everlasting to everlasting, and this is where the tension is. And so when we get impatient, God, where are you? God, where are you? Where are you? God, when are you going to intervene here? God, when are you going to fix this there? God, when are you going to make this right, make this better? And here's the problem. God is never in a hurry and he's rarely early, but he's never late and it's always worth the wait. And you know this. Well, God, why are you in a hurry? Because that's just not how God is. God is like a day is a thousand years ago. 
That's God's time frame. So God is never in a hurry. And so when we want God to rush and to fix it and to make it right and to bring justice and to make, you know, right what is wrong in this world, and he will one day, he will make everything right. All things will be new. But he's never in a hurry. And he's rarely early. Come on, think about this. Think of you. God didn't need six days. He didn't need six days to create everything. We think about God and we think, wow, he created everything in six days. Wow, he's huge. He's massive. He's amazing. We're thinking too small of God. God could have created everything in six seconds. God could have created everything in six milliseconds. And I don't even know what's smaller than that. So God couldn't have, God could have created anything he wanted in any time frame that he wanted. But God didn't hurry. And he created each day in the way that he wanted. And then on the seventh day, he rested. What's up with that? Like, let's keep going. Let's move on. Get on with life. This is how we are. We want to keep moving. And God's like, no, I'm just going to rest. Did God need to? No. But God is never in a hurry. And he's rarely early. And that's the tension that we feel. Because we feel like we're in a hurry. And we're tired of waiting, 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 waiting. God, when are you going to do something here? God, when are you going to intervene here? God, when are you going to fix this here? And God is never, ever in a hurry. He says, why is that? Here's why. Because this is a beautiful characteristic of God. But it's patient towards you, not wishing. Why? Not wishing any to perish. He's not wishing any to be lost. He says, but for all, but for all to come to repentance. He's waiting for all. The word repentance means just to change your mind, change your mind, turn around, go in a different direction. And what he's wanting, what he's wanting, and what he's waiting for, what he's waiting patiently for, is for maybe you that are watching that have never put your faith in Jesus, You've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus. He's waiting for you. He's waiting patiently for you to turn and to change your mind about who Jesus is. He's waiting for you right here in this moment to say, you know what? I'm going about my life and there is cause and there's effect and I can see there's sowing and there's reaping. But man, I need some, I need a change. I need something to change. I need something to happen. And I need God to intervene. And right here, right now, in this moment, God will intervene in your life. And God's patience is an indication that God has a plan for an intervention. That God's waiting patiently because He's waiting for you. Listen, He's waiting for you to make a decision, to change your mind about who God is, specifically who Jesus is to you. And he's waiting for you. And he's waiting for you because he has a plan for you. He's waiting for you because it's an indication that he has a plan for you and he wants to intervene in your life. And maybe right here and maybe right now, that's what you need to allow him to do is to open your mind and to open your heart to what Jesus wants to do in and through you. 
And so we're going to pause right here, and we're going to just give you that opportunity right here and right now. Wherever you're at, maybe you've gone to church, you've gone to church, you're waiting to get back here in church, and you're at home, and maybe you're just watching, you know, you saw something that popped up on your feed, and you just clicked on it, and you've given me an opportunity to, to speak into your life for these few minutes they feel like five minutes to me, but they're, I don't know, I'm probably 40-some minutes in right now. But I just, I just want to give you an opportunity to be able to give God what he, God wants to do. He's right here waiting for you to open the door of your heart, to open up, and to allow your heart to be strengthened in the fact that he wants to have a relationship with you. And that he's being patient about his return because he, it, when he comes back, it's going to be too late. When he returns again, it's going to be too late. And he doesn't want any to be lost. He doesn't want any to perish. But he wants all, including you, to come to repentance. And this patience that God is exhibiting. I mean, think about it. James was written when P Peter was writing his letters was some 2,000 years ago and God has patiently waited for this moment right here, right now for you to come into a relationship with Jesus so that you can know what it means to be forgiven and set free, to be made blameless, to be made blameless. And this would be the position, I'll end here in this, if we can just Go to 2 Peter 3, 14. He says it this way. He says, therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in him. Look, look what he says. To found in him, peace, spotless, and blameless. This is where, where as we wait for him to come back, what, what he wants to be found, where he wants you to be found, is that he wants you to be found in peace, with peace, peace spotless, and blameless. God wants you to know. And that is not a performance thing. That is a position thing. That is not a, you don't earn that or deserve that or work for that. That is, a, that is a position thing that happens when you put your faith in Jesus, when you put your faith and receive the grace of God, the free gift of salvation. That when, when he comes back again, that you'll be found in peace. When he comes back again, you'll be found spotless and blameless. You won't feel spotless. You won't always feel blameless. But that will be your position because that's the great, amazing grace, the gift that he gives us. And it's by putting your faith in him. And he's waiting. And he's waiting. And he's not slow about his return but he's waiting patiently for you because he doesn't want you to be lost and he wants to find you with a peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that you can have with God. He wants to find you in a position of spotless. Why? Because Jesus was, took the spots. He took the wounds for you so that you could be spotless. He wants to find you blameless. Why? Because Jesus took the blame. Jesus took the blame for you to be blameless. So if you're sitting, wherever you're sitting, wherever you're at, wherever you're watching from, whatever you're doing right now, I just want to give you this moment right now. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer, and I'm just going to ask you to repeat this prayer to make it real for you, not only in your mind, but in your heart. And it's not the words that save, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the heart decision. It's the it's deciding that you're going to change your mind, change your mind, change your mind, change your mind about who Jesus is. Pray with me. Father, I know that I'm a sinner. 
And as a result of my sin, the cause brings about an effect. And the effect brings a lot about hurt and pain and disappointment and discouragement and broken relationships and financial ruin and on and on and on about what sin brings about. It's the sow, what we sow, we ultimately reap. And so, Father, we, I just recognize truly in my life that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And God, you sent your son Jesus to save me from my sins. That you came and you offered yourself and you took on the blame and you took on the shame and you took on the guilt so that I can be found spotless and blameless and have peace with you. So Father, come into my heart and be my savior. Forgive me of my sins because I know that you died for me and I know that you were buried and I believe that you even rose from the grave as a way for all of us, as a path for all of us to have eternal life with you in heaven. We thank you for that. We thank you for that opportunity for us to change our minds, to turn our hearts towards you. So Father, I pray for those here that are watching right now, that they make that decision. They make that decision. It's the best decision. And God, you will disrupt, intervene in a life. And it's worth the wait. It's worth the wait. It's worth the decision. It's the best decision anyone can ever make. I pray, Lord, that people that are watching, they make that decision today. In Jesus' name, amen.